September 2nd, 1889, Labor Day, was celebrated throughout the length and breadth of the land by multiplied thousands of working men. It was Labor's holiday. Picnics were in order. Men, women, and children went forth from their homes to the groves, to the sunny highlands, by babbling brooks, by silent rivers, bent upon rational enjoyments. There was music and dancing, speaking and feasting, dull care and toil were left behind, and rest and pleasure ruled the day. It was a new departure and dates a new regime. It means that in the future, working men are to have more enjoyment. It means that education and the refining influence of education are having the effect designed. The movement is full of promise. It betokens a good time coming for which so many prayers have been offered up, and which is coming because working men have declared that it shall come. God helps those who try to help themselves. God never helps a coward. Nor did cowards ever win a battle. Labor Day presages the eight-hour day. Labor Day voices the fact that the hosts of labor are coming closer together. Imaginary partitions are being broken down, and imaginary lines of divisions are disappearing. The bond of union is growing stronger. Sympathies which were but yesterday weak and narrow are today strong and broad. Labor Day's vitalized principles exalt truth and speak for an era of justice. Labor Day's dignify labor. There was a time when the badge of labor symbolized degradation. It is so no longer to men who are not born to wear yokes. The time is not distant when Labor Day, like the 4th of July, will be a national holiday, by virtue of statutes, a Labor Sabbath, when in honor of labor and its achievements all people shall cease from work and make the day notable by demonstrations of joy and gladness. So that was a piece from Eugene Debs, published in October 1889, and I thought it would be a great way to kick off this episode since we are celebrating Labor Day um, somewhat early. <laughs> I took... Friday off this week, so I uh, am enjoying myself thoroughly this Thursday evening, and I wanted to make sure I got an episode out, and I figured we would spend some time discussing the current state of labor in the United States, and uh, as we are celebrating the unique uh, American Labor Day, not May 1st, International Workers' Day, even though... International Workers' Day, May 1st, <laughs> is supposed to uh, recognize the anniversary of the Haymarket Affair, which happened in Chicago. It's just, uh, it's funny. <laughs> it's like, how can we separate ourselves from the godless communists? Let's celebrate Labor Day uh, in September. <laughs> anyway, so what's the big news in labor right now? I think we should start with the basketball strike. The NBA players strike. The mainstream media will not call it a strike because their main task is to make every consumer of mainstream media feel as though that they are 
just that. You're an individual consumer. You aren't a worker. There is no working class consciousness. There is no shared working class exploitation or experience. Um, you are an individual consumer. And so we'll call this a boycott because that's what consumers do. Consumers boycott. They refuse to consume. Um, you boycott Pepsi. You boycott a certain brand of coffee. <laughs> Whatever. You know, you refuse to consume. A strike is when unified workers decide that they are going to refuse to work. Simple as that. The mainstream media does not want people in the United States in particular to know that that's a useful tactic to go on strike. The idea that you can stop the gears from turning collectively and that tells the boss and the people who own the boss and the people who own the people who own the boss that if you stop working, the gears stop turning, shit stops being produced, and the whole, the veil is lifted. This whole, like, the idea of the Wizard of Oz behind the curtain of capitalist production that actually it's you as the worker and your fellow workers who produce the value of a product. The surplus value that becomes the profit is created by you, the worker, through your effort, your sacrifice of time, etc. So they don't want you to know that you can get together with your fellow workers and say, let's fucking refuse to work and shit will happen. You don't need to be helped any longer. You've always had the power to go back to Kansas. Well, the response of the NBA players to the shooting and subsequent paralysis of Jacob Blake, I mean, it, it was beautiful. They went on strike. And it, it, the funny thing is, is that media figures had to decide, like, well, how are we going to cover this um, so that we're sensitive, like, but at the same time we're not actually acknowledging that it's a strike? W what are we going to do? And what ended up happening was um, several games were um, stopped or didn't happen, whatever you'd like to say. Um, the players, like I said, were refusing to play. They went on strike. And they eventually came to a vote of whether or not to continue the strike um, beyond a certain day. And the only two teams who voted to continue the strike were the Clippers and the Lakers, which that shocked the shit out of me. <laughs> I mean, like, those are the last two teams I expected to say, like, hey, fuck it, let's, uh, you know, let's keep this thing going. We, got, we have something to prove now. Um, and from what I understand... Barack Obama called LeBron James and had something to do with it. I haven't read that much into it, but that's what I've heard. And ain't that like Obama to stop a strike? <laughs> to fucking cross the picket line. Motherfucker. Um, just like he said, he was going to put on that soft shoe and, and march with the teachers on the picket line. Um, anyway, it just shows the possibilities of worker action, collective action. What we could accomplish if... Imagine even if it was just athletes right now. <laughs> imagine if it was NBA, MLB, NFL, and then even college athletes. Imagine if they all just said, until you give us Medicare for All, Green New Deal, um, and, I mean, if we wanted to boil it down to the current civil rights movement, uh, the cops who fucking murdered Breonna Taylor are just running around... Uh, the cop who murdered Micaiah Lee is still running around. Like, all, all of these different murders, assaults, um, etc. that have happened. 
imagine for a moment that everybody in these sports that everybody watches were to just say we aren't going to play until XYZ happens. That's power. I mean, that's and that's the kind. Of, that's really. I mean, if you want to analyze like the, the situation in its like specific conditions, it's like that's a really particularly American powerful strike because of. I mean, it's just this really bloated capitalist society, and what's the maybe the largest form of consumed entertainment? Probably sports. I would have to guess it's in the top three. So imagine everybody that worked in sports said, fuck you, we're not working until XYZ happens. That's the power of a union, baby. And it's exactly why the mainstream media refuses to call it a strike. Because, again, if people all of a sudden were to hear, hey, wait a minute, you're telling me that those players just refuse to go to work, refuse to play, do their jobs, and in doing so, they were able to achieve... XYZ, um, where they had this impact, etc. I mean, not every workplace is going to obviously have the impact that sports stars can have, but at the same time, it it does deliver a powerful message of what United Workers can do. And it's just so funny to me that it's like the whole, like, oh, let's call it a boycott. Like, that's the best they can do. The players are boycotting the game. <laughs> Like, they aren't consuming the game. The people who watch the shit are consuming it. They are the workers. And, anyway, I I just think it's so interesting. And I also think that it... I mean, whether you agree with me or not, I mean, come on. That marks a serious... Like, I think a historical moment as far as labor is concerned. At least in the past decade... I mean, like, the, the idea that in response to police brutality, police murders, systemic violence against black Americans, it's the, the entire NBA team, like, the, the entirety of the teams go on strike. I uh, might be wrong, but I think that's probably the first time that has happened, right? I mean, I might be fucking wrong, but, I mean, it, it says... <laughs> That's substantial. Anyway, um, beyond that, other labor news. So Vice published an article um, on September 1st uh, about Amazon. And the title is, Amazon is hiring an intelligence analyst (laughs) to track labor organizing threats. Amazon is looking to hire two people who can focus on keeping tabs on labor activists within the company. (laughs) And <laughs> do you remember the story of Chris Smalls? What exactly is the impetus behind the actions you are taking walking out on the Fulfillment Center operations today? Yes, uh, no problem. Uh, first of all, I want to say thank you for uh, taking the time to interview me today. Um, I'm being the voice of the people. I'm being the voice of the people that are afraid to speak up. Um, I'm taking a stance against the company. Um, I've been with the company uh, a little over four and a half years. And this right here um, is the tipping point for me. Um, in New York, at the their f- fulfillment center, <laughs> funny name, Orwellian name for factory, um, he organized a protest 
uh, against the inadequate preparations and safety precautions that the company was taking pertaining to COVID-19. So they shit canned him and they had a fucking smear campaign. <laughs> like the uh, executives of Amazon met with Jeff Bezos was involved. They met and were talking about ways that they could say, hey, this guy is this, this guy is that. I mean, a lot of it sounded a little fucking racist even. But anyway, uh, the article goes, Amazon is looking to hire two intelligence analysts to track labor organizing threats within the company. The company recently posted two job listings for analysts that can keep an eye on sensitive and confidential topics, including labor organizing threats against the company. They wanted to hire an intelligence analyst and a senior intelligence analyst for its global security operations, the Global Intelligence Program, responsible for physical and corporate security operations such as insider threats and industrial espionage. <laughs> and it's only they took this down. Um, Vice adds, Amazon has historically been hostile to workers attempting to form a union or organize any kind of collective action. Last year, an Amazon spokesperson accused unions of exploiting Prime Day to raise awareness to their cause and increase membership dues. Earlier this year, the company fired Christian Smalls, Chris Smalls, a black employee who led a protest at a fulfillment center factory in New York over Amazon's inadequate safety measures in the early days of the COVID-19 pandemic. During a meeting with Amazon CEO Jeff Bezos, company executives discussed plans to smear Smalls, calling him not smart or articulate. <laughs> So, I mean, Vice News really kind of sucks. So, uh, Megan Day and Jacobin actually uh, wrote a better article about it. Uh, corporations like Amazon hire union-busting labor spies all the time. Um, starts off, Amazon recently busted hiring intelligence experts to spy on Amazon workers. The practice is unfortunately common. Most major multinational corporations have surveillance divisions which overlap with government intelligence agencies, creating a single powerful security apparatus at the disposal of both the federal government and private corporations to use against workers. So, <laughs> it's just funny because, again, um, if you think about even the history of the AFL-CIO, uh, unfortunately, the AFL-CIO was even used um, to go to Latin America and moderate or spy on more radical unions and try to basically get people on board with shitty business unions. Anyway, uh, Megan Day's article goes on. Corporate spying became professionalized after the end of the Cold War when the out-of-work CIA, FBI, and NSA spooks established professional associations to gain a foothold in the private sector. The first multinational companies to hire these government-trained intelligence experts were focused on collecting sensitive information on corporate competitors. This developed into a corporate espionage arms race in which companies were increasingly compelled to build similar divisions as a matter of self-defense and in order to remain competitive. And so they go on. Many multinational corporations now have their own global security divisions which rival the intelligence agencies of many countries. To staff these divisions, companies like Amazon, Coca-Cola, Walmart, McDonald's, and Monsanto all dip into the government-trained surveillance expert pool. Walmart's intelligence unit, for example, which employs 400 people, is staffed largely by former government intelligence operatives and is under the direct uh, the direction of former FBI agent of a former FBI agent. The unit also works with weapons manufacturer Lockheed Martin to monitor worker activity, while Lockheed Martin is, in turn, known to team up with the FBI, CIA, and NSA. Uh, on surveillance operations. So anyway, it's kind of the same uh, back and forth bullshit between the state and the corporate sector that 
we are all used to by now. <laughs> it's just that it, this is all happening after Jeff Bezos, uh, USA, USA Today reported a week ago, I think exactly a week ago, that Bezos uh, is worth $202 billion. So it's like, if you ever needed evidence as far as uh, whether or not there's power in a union or power in United Workers, <laughs> consider the fact that the world's richest man is scared shitless of workers organizing. <laughs> like, he's the... It, that just is all the proof in the world. I mean, if, if we ever were sitting around as leftists, like, thinking, well, what is the most effective way to challenge the status quo? Uh, organizing at the direct point of capitalism's contradiction, socialized production and privatized profits, the workplace, at fucking work, organize there, and you can take over the fucking economy. That's, like, the whole thing. In, in Marxism, it's, like, the whole idea is contradictions will be exposed it follows the hegelian thesis uh antithesis and the synthesis so you have the condition the contradiction or the negation and then the synthesis the eventual resolution of the contradiction in capitalism it's the fact that profits are privatized and production is social <laughs> the fact that it's a fuckload of people making shit and uh, a tiny, like, sector of parasites, not necessarily tiny given the expansion of the population of the United States, but still far less than the people who actually toil. Um, like, these parasites, and it's not just bosses, it's landlords. I mean, Marx points out, is as soon as you're done collecting your check, your wage, you are accosted by the other sort of hydra heads of capital. The landlord. <laughs> it being one of them um, taxation of the poor uh, so if you <laughs> again if you ever needed a clue as far as like okay well where should we fucking organize organize at work <laughs> like the the new left has fucking failed horribly because it has ignored actual working class people uh, because they're too crass they say things that aren't politically correct they don't agree with me on blah, blah, blah. They don't like my fucking pink hair and green shirt. I mean, it's like, so, like, it's like Orwell says in The Road to Wigan Pier. Uh, why don't people who would benefit from socialism like socialism? Well, it's not that they don't like socialism. They don't like socialists. They don't like the person who dresses weird with the weird diet and somebody who talks down to them and thinks that they're above them because that worker, um occasionally fucking says something off color or uh, isn't cultured or doesn't read, whatever. Um, the, the, the whole thing with Marx is like the working class, it's not a bunch of angels. Uh, we're just talking about the fact that these are people who are exploited and abused and the contradictions of capitalism will lead to something else. It will lead to the resolution, which is socialism. <laughs> which leads to the necessity, the developmental necessity of communism. Which is stateless, classless, non-hierarchical human organization. Um, anyway, <laughs> happy Labor Day. Uh, um, what else do I want to talk about? Yeah, so on uh, August 28th, 
and it was updated on the 30th. Uh, HuffPost, which I have very limited respect for fucking HuffPost, um, <laughs> but they had an article which I thought was kind of ballsy and uh, a worthwhile read. White vigilantes have always had a friend in police. New data shows that far-right vigilantes, often with support from cops, have threatened protesters nearly 500 times since police killed George Floyd. And the funny thing is, this is not a secret. The FBI reported a long time ago that neo-Nazis and white supremacists and fascists have infiltrated law enforcement organizations. Like, that's just a fact. Who the fuck do you think? I mean, don't get me wrong. There are a lot of people who become cops because it's a somewhat dignifying job, I guess, and it's a public sector job, decent retirement, strong unions, stronger than a lot of unions. Um, It's better than fucking working at FedEx, (laughs) you know? So, uh, as far as income and job security, etc. goes. So, uh, but it's no secret that a lot of the people who become cops are people who are fucking Nazis and they just want an excuse to beat the shit out of people, to control people, um, to inflict pain upon minority communities. It's just the way it fucking is. Um, anyway, the article goes, before Kyle Rittenhouse allegedly opened fire, allegedly, you motherfuckers, before Kyle, before Kyle Rittenhouse fucking murdered two people, I will say, uh, murdered anti-racist protesters in Kenosha, Wisconsin on Tuesday night, killing two and severely injuring another. A video showed police essentially deputizing the 17-year-old. Rittenhouse had been walking the streets of Kenosha carrying an assault rifle alongside other armed white men, a local self-styled militia formed for the purported purpose of protecting property from protesters. And isn't that... Doesn't that just say it all? Protecting property. That's... That's as fascist, that's as reactionary as it gets. We will take human life to save this fucking Chuck E. Cheese franchise. We appreciate you guys. We really do. A cop can be heard telling the group over a loudspeaker before tossing Rittenhouse a bottle of water. It was a scene familiar in American history. Agents of the state conscripting armed white vigilantes to help violently suppress movements for racial justice and liberation. No shit, motherfucker. <laughs> but who the fuck is the Huff Post to be, like, you know, acting like you, like, oh, God, I'm just irritated. I Like, the, the whole, the comfy liberal media acting like it's a helping hand. I mean, it's, anyway... It wasn't surprising to see Rittenhouse in another video published Tuesday walk toward police after allegedly... Allegedly, goddammit. After murdering two people, uh, for him not to be apprehended until the following day (laughs) when he was arrested at his home in Illinois. Again, he wasn't even from Kenosha. He fucking (laughs) drove there or was driven there from fucking Illinois with a gun... To protect property. He cares so much about this property. He <laughs> he gives such a shit about the fucking, uh, the, I don't know, great clips, <laughs> whatever the, whatever's there. As historic uprisings against police brutality have swept the country in recent months, antagonistic right-wing vigilantes have been a constant menacing presence, often seen patrolling Black Lives Matter protests with the tacit and often explicit support of law enforcement. 
These vigilantes have shot protesters, attacked them with cars, and beaten them. So, I mean, this is like the whole thing that I've been talking about, especially, I mean, what fucking just happened in Nevada, in Minden. Because the, the library in Douglas County, Nevada, said, we support Black Lives Matter. By the way, that fucking library is getting investigated by these stupid pig bastards uh, for their support of Black Lives Matter. Like, there's... It's like... Anyway, um, it's... If you look into what happened in Minden, mostly teenage activists with Black Lives Matter got spit on, called racial slurs, assaulted. Like, there's a video of a guy getting sucker punched by some fucking Nazi. It's just... It, it's ha- it, it, again. It just pisses me off that all of a sudden, fucking Huff Post is like, "Oh, this is going on." It's like, "Oh, oh you don't, you don't say." <laughs> and as political tensions intensify, heading into the presidential election this fall, with a president who routinely demonizes anti-racist protesters as thugs and terrorists, and with reactionary police forces desperate to beat back calls for their own abolishment. There's genuine concern that the deadly vigilante virus on display in Kenosha could be replicated elsewhere. It has been replicated elsewhere. I don't understand. Do they not remember the Unite the Right rally? Do they not remember? I mean, there are multiple stories of fucking Nazi assholes driving into crowds and killing people. Or shooting people. I mean, there's footage of some fucking Confederate flag asshole. I can't remember where it was from, but just like pulling out a fucking pistol and just fucking firing into a crowd of, uh, of protesters. I mean, the, the idea that this is new <laughs> is what's fucking irritating. Um, <laughs> and, and look, I mean, it's, I've talked about it before. I was really hesitant to call Trump a fascist because it just seemed like an easy jab, easy critique, whatever. And, I mean, recently, he was in North Carolina telling his supporters to commit voter fraud. <laughs> vote, and they're going to have to go and check their vote by going to the poll and voting that way, because uh, if it, if it uh, tabulates, then they won't be able to do that. So let them send it in and let them go vote. And if their system's as good as they say it is, then obviously they won't be able to vote. If it isn't tabulated, they'll be able to vote. So that's the way it go is. Go vote twice, fuck. <laughs> and... Now we actually have armed Nazis, and they've been doing this for a while. All of a sudden, the mainstream media is catching up, I guess. Um, it's just fucking irritating. It's just, it's infuriating that they're acting like this is new. Um, anyway, a wave of white vigilante violence. White vigilantes and far-right actors have shown up to oppose Black Lives Matter protests in the U.S. at least 497 times this year, according to data collected by Alexander Reed Ross a doctoral fellow at the Center for Analysis of the Radical Right. I didn't know that was a thing. (laughs) He started gathering data on May 27th, two days after police in Minneapolis killed George Floyd and continued through this week. Wow. Well, good on that motherfucker for for thinking uh, to say, hey, uh, I bet this is going to trigger a bunch of fucking Nazis. Um, A U.S. Army sergeant who had previously posted tweets about targeting Black Lives Matter activists shot and killed a protester in Austin, Texas. Black Lives Matter protesters marching through the rural part of Bedford County, Pennsylvania, say a white man opened fire on them at night, striking one protester in the face. 
A man in Iowa City, Iowa, allegedly drove his car into a crowd of protesters and, according to a criminal complaint, later justified the attack by telling police the protesters needed an attitude adjustment. In California, a sheriff's deputy was spotted wearing a 3%ers militia patch on his uniform while policing a protest. I am telling you, motherfuckers, the 3%ers are all over Nevada and all over California. The, 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 it's a West Coast thing for the most part, I have to assume. Just because I see that shit everywhere. Just <laughs> it's very stressful. It's just... <laughs> fucking Christ. Um... And the thing is, is that they're really not holding the police responsible for this shit. They're untouchable. They're the only fucking government entity that conservatives are just willing to say, hey, fuck you, you know, let them do what they want, let them do whatever they want. Anyway, um, <laughs> I gotta tell you, things are looking kind of bleak, and... I wanted to keep this a labor episode, and I think that actually ties in with the Black Lives Matter movement and the response to these white vigilantes. Right now, I think the only hope we have is organized labor. The only hope we have is becoming so organized as a working class, regardless of race, regardless of geography... We all have to just <laughs> recognize our shared vulnerability and our shared experiences and the fact that the only power that we have is economic power. That's just the way it is. The only power we have is when we don't work. <laughs> when we fucking refuse to work. It seems so obvious that it's like, okay, well... Um, Oh, well, I can't do that. I'll get fired. Well, yeah, they'll do that if, if you just do that by yourself. Now, what happens if we all do it? That's, <laughs> that's kind of the whole debate, you know? What happens if one day we all just decide not to go to work? Um, <laughs> it's, it seems fucking obvious, but it's, uh, and it's scary. And we're not well organized enough at this point as a left wing, let alone a fucking working class, to accomplish any of that. And it's unfortunate because, I mean, look, I've talked about it before, the whole history of the New Deal, um, we're supposed to think, oh, FDR, just out of the kindness of his heart, he, he said, oh, these, these people need some help. <laughs> and it's really, in, in truth... It was the working class scaring the shit out of the ruling class, including FDR, that got the New Deal passed. And there were a lot of leftists who actually were saying, don't buy it. Don't buy into that shit. They're just trying to appease us. Which, yeah, essentially that's, that's what they did. Because if they can give it to you, they can take it away. I know that sounds like a conservative argument, but it really is like, it's revolutionary in a lot of ways. It's the idea that, hey... Yeah, getting something out of the government's great, but we want to overthrow the system. <laughs> so that we don't have to rely on them for fucking handouts. That's the whole idea. Um, and, I don't know, what's good news? Well, Ed Markey, <laughs> Ed Markey won. Um, so, 
Uh, somebody call that man Dallas because he knocked off a Kennedy. <laughs> um, anyway, so that's good. I, uh, I'm glad that happened. I know he has some um, problematic <laughs> uh, positions in the... He's had some problematic positions in the past. He, um, I think he voted for the Iraq War. Which, that sucks. But, what are you going to do? Um, I can't remember if I discussed this or not, but I think it's worth remembering on this Labor Day episode that uh, in, uh, July 29th, uh, UConn blog published, um, it's a union website, uh, published a report pertaining to National Labor Relations Board rules that employers during organizing drives don't have to share the contact information lists. So under the new rule, which was published on July 29th, employers would no longer be required to hand over workers' personal email addresses, home telephone numbers, and cell phone numbers to the union. Now, they currently have to provide that information as well as the names and home addresses of all eligible voters within the bargaining unit. And that's where you get that. And, like, people are always bitching, like, Oh, fuck! Uh, well, you, did you register to vote? Okay, good. I know where you live. <laughs> it's like... It's really as simple as that. People don't understand that you can just fucking go online and look up where they live. Um, but anyway, I mean, it's just that, and this is another thing that the union's going to have to, uh, look out for. And it says, if the rule is implemented, unions are sure to sue. Uh, earlier changes to the election rules were met with lawsuits from the AFL-CIO. In one, in one case, a judge struck down a large portion of the charge, or change, rather, uh, when the other case was still pending. Um, so they are going to be reviewing this, uh, until September 27th. So you actually have time to submit a comment. Um, if you'd like to go, uh, let me see what the link is here. It is, it's taking me to beta.regulations.gov. I don't like the sound of that. Okay, well, anyway, it's a .gov site. So yeah, just go there, um, look up the proposed amendment to, um, National Labor Relations Board, um, let me see if I can find the exact information, what this thing is called. Um, well, that's really fucking helpful. Uh, anyway, <laughs> what else? Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm really fucking trying to, uh, well, anyway, now nah, you've heard me talk enough. So, I guess enjoy your Labor Day, um, American Labor Day. Keep in mind the words of Eugene Debs, which I read at the beginning, and I will talk to you soon enough. Solidarity!